disappears. I can tell you how it got there, but I doubt you'd want to hear. Some sob story from a kid who spends his time bitching out the world after he smokes away his mind. Hello. Everybody, welcome back to North Idaho Now. This is episode 167 for September 20th. Chance Watson bring you the news today. And this episode is brought to you by Hecla Mining Company. Hecla Mining Company is a leading low-cost silver producer with operating silver mines in Alaska, Idaho, and Mexico, and is a growing gold producer with operating mines in Quebec, Canada, and Nevada. They're the largest primary silver producer in the U.S., responsible for one-third of the silver produced in our nation. Their philosophy is to operate mines safely by promoting a deeply rooted value-based culture, leveraging mining skills to build over the company's long history, and by innovating new practices. To learn more about Hecla Mining Company, please visit heclamining.com. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Glad to have you with us. Um, well, glad you have it with me, rather. Um, hope everybody's doing all right out there in North Idaho and, and beyond. I know we've got some listeners that are outside of the panhandle, but want to know what's going on here back home. And I guess the answer is there's always something going on here um, with one of the largest housing markets, growing markets, you know, in the country, in the nation, especially in the state, easily in the state. Uh, it seems like there's always something going on up here in North Idaho, whether it be up in Bonner's Ferry or all the way down to Indian Reservation uh, with uh, the Coeur d'Alene tribe. So, yeah, always something going on here. I tell you, oh, I, I'm I'm a big avid podcast listener myself as somebody who puts one out. I also listen to one. I uh, listen to a bunch of them, actually. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll spare you, uh, the listeners the hockey talk because this is not a hockey podcast. That's my other one. Um, no, I will, I will, but I will talk about how, uh, I recently, God, you know, I, one of my favorite pastimes is comedians. I love comedy, stand up comedy, going to shows. I, I absolutely love that kind of stuff. And one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to, the, the, uh, the, the host is actually local. He lives, lives here in Coeur d'Alene. Um, very popular show. He actually did a, a spotlight on George Carlin, the infamous and famous comedian George Carlin. Uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to George Carlin's work. Uh, I know he definitely was a lot more popular. It, it, anybody who's listened to this show um, who's probably over the age of 45, 50 definitely knows who George Carlin is. But uh, for the younger audience, George Carlin might uh, might have been – he passed away in 2008, but a very renowned comedian, uh, one, of the, one of the pioneers of modern comedy, you could say. Uh, one of the first guys to really, really push the bounds of what was okay to say. Or rather what you could get away with saying. I don't know if it was okay to say. You could even you could even argue that he was probably uh, a bit crass uh, in some of his stuff. But he was the one to really push the boundaries. And um, I guess if you could say that there was a one of the first bad boys of comedy, uh, even though he would probably hate that title. Uh, you could say that though, you could make an argument that it was George Carlin. Uh, I grew up listening to a lot of his stuff. Uh, my dad's an avid George Carlin fan. Um, most recently, I've been listening to. We've talked about on the show before. Big Norm Macdonald fans. We've been we've been binging out on Norm Macdonald, listening to some of his funnier, st- uh, older stuff. But uh, George Carlin uh, finally popped up on the show. He was a topic. Uh, just fascinating to learn about the guy. Learn about all the things. Some of his stuff going to the Supreme Court. You know, you think you you think you know about somebody until you start getting an in-depth dive on like a biography or something. And man, it's really interesting. I, I, I definitely recommend uh, going and checking it out. Um, or even just, you know what? I just recommend listening to George Carlin. Um, he's not for the faint of heart. So uh, for those who are, <laughs> those who like uh, G, G comedy, 
um, stuff that doesn't necessarily have any swearing or uh, a push on the boundaries. Don't don't worry about George Carlin, but um, if you if you like your comedy a little edgy or just you know like to talk about real world situations and calling it how it is, um, George Carlin's definitely the way to go. Um, also, something fun and new that was put on my radar recently. I've uh, been watching, been popping over to Hulu. Um, surprise, surprise! Um, in the background, I've been having Scrubs play. Uh, Scrubs is one of my all-time repeat shows that just play in the background while you're doing stuff. But um, the new show that popped up on Hulu, uh, it's called Reboot. Uh, it's <laughs> this show is super interesting, and I-, I love that even Hulu has like they're embracing the idea of like making fun of themselves a little bit, because um, that's what this is kind of. Uh, jumping up onto their Wikipedia page, the premise reboot is a dysfunctional is about a dysfunctional cast of early two thousands hit sitcom Step Right Up who must face their unresolved issues and navigate social cancel culture when a younger writer pitches a reboot of their show. Um, I know understand it's it's a very interest it's one of those introspective things or not introspective I guess you could say one of those more like self aware shows. Uh, kind of like BoJack Horseman, uh, if you ever watch BoJack Horseman on Netflix, where like you see behind the scenes of a show being filmed for another show. Um, this is kind of that they bring all the cast. By, by the way, the cast: um, Keegan Michael Keel, Johnny Knoxville, Rachel Bloom. Uh, this is these are these are great names to be thrown out there already. Um, the show is super like it. So it's about a fictional show. The, the Step Right Up is a fictional show, but. In the world of Hulu, like Hulu exists, though, in this world, and Hulu is the one that greenlights the reboot of the old show. So <laughs> it's it's a really interesting perspective, and they even kind of take some digs at themselves about how, you know, reboots are in right now. And oh, are people even doing reboots? And then they just sit there and name off. I don't want to spo- spoil the show. Uh, so far, I'm one episode in. I think last I looked, there was three episodes out so far. Uh, definitely, definitely something here. I think it, it's... Uh, this is an interesting show and it kind of gives you like the the step right up the fictional show kind of gives you like full house vibes even though it was supposed to be set in like the early 2000s. Um no, it's so far so far I'm I'm very impressed with it. And this is not me being a Hulu stan. Um I certainly have not liked all of their shows. Um I tried to give How I Met Your Father a shot. Um it's just not the same. Uh, that being that being said, I wasn't a huge How I Met Your Mother fan. Like it was, I was a casual fan. I watched it when it was on. I certainly don't hate the show, but um, definitely not. I wouldn't say a, a huge fan of it. So How I Met Your Father is, uh, eh, it's fine. It's fine. It's not. It's not a home run by any means, but it's fine. It's it's it gets some heat. But you know what? Nowadays, what what show doesn't get heat? Um, we've got people arguing about you know uh, actresses for for Ariel. By the way, I have to laugh about this. My my ignorance on this subject. Um, I, I I had heard I heard the I heard the the arguments about the casting choice for Ariel for this new movie. I didn't even know that that they were doing a live action Ariel uh, Little Mermaid. I had no idea. Um, but they they kept talking about it and they said it real fast. Uh, they I thought they were saying Holly Berry, like like Holly Berry from like my time. Like I was like I was like uh, Holly Berry is an incredible actress and she could knock any role out of the park. What is Holly Berry up to nowadays? Holly Berry, what is she up to nowadays? Holly Berry, fifty six years old, still looks amazing. Um, still 
Still avoiding when she was Catwoman, I see. That's probably not a good thing. Um, John Wick Chapter 3. God, I got to catch up on my John Wicks, gang. Um, I absolutely love Keanu Reeves. Oh, man, speaking of Keanu Reeves, how can I kick up the show and not even talk about the big elephant in the room? Uh, Constantine 2 uh, for the superhero. F- I mean, you got to be a real superhero fan because this, this is like DC dark universe kind of stuff, um, which I don't even claim to be a super superhero fan. But um, loved the first Constantine movie. Super good. Loved the lore. Uh, and Keanu Reeves is just great in everything he does. So the fact that Constantine two, where he's coming back for a sequel, that's been reboot or that's been, that's been greenlit. Ah, so excited for that. Uh, sorry. Got, got the, the ADD is kicking in gang back to Holly Berry. Uh, this let's look okay. So she was just in something called Moonfall. Not familiar with this film, but it stars Holly Berry, Patrick Wilson, John Bradley. Okay. Michael Penna. Oh, all right. Well, interesting. Interesting. I should probably look into this and see. Um, it's a conspiracy theorist who discovers hidden truth about Earth's moon. Oh, okay. All right. Maybe something right up my alley. And then she's working on something called The Mothership and Our Man from Jersey. All right. Well, oh, starring Mark Wahlberg and Holly Berry. Well, okay. Mark Wahlberg and Holly Berry. Sign me up, gang. That's Marky Mark is pretty much great in almost everything he's in except for that M. Night Shyamalan movie. And that wasn't even really his fault. So... <laughs> Poor guy. What a twist. That movie's terrible. Uh, it's not terrible. It's just, yeah, it's a weird movie. Um, M. Night Shyamalan is uh, an interesting, interesting guy that it seems like he's a one trick pony uh, every once in a while. Um, but yeah, no. Um, I, the, go, wow. We are way off topic. We have just gone down a rabbit hole. I was, I think I was talking about Ariel and the reboot and I got lost with Holly Berry. Um, long story short on that is not Holly Berry. Holly Berry is not the actress. Um, that is being it is it is Hallie Lynn Bailey. Uh, I had no idea. I was so ignorant of the subject. Uh, now I'm now I know, and uh, I'm not going to weigh in on that because uh, I really don't care. Uh, I don't. I'm not a huge Disney stan. I would say um, I do have my favorite Disney films, and my favorite Disney princess is definitely Mulan. Um, I, in my opinion, it's not even close, really. Uh, Mulan is definitely the best Disney princess. Yeah, I never really, I, you know, you grow up, especially, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on 30 now. So we all had the VHSs of the, you know, the colorful uh, Disney films and the Pixar films and that kind of So You pop the VHS out. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I watched Little Mermaid a lot. It was just never uh, under the sea, under the sea. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, those are all great. Um, I just, for some reason, it didn't resonate. Um, it wasn't one of my favorite Disney movies, so uh, I don't really hold hold the film franchise close to my heart. If we put it that put it that way, uh, so I don't really have any strong opinions on it. Uh, I hope that the movie turns out well. Um, it's nice to, you know, but then again, I ju- going right back to rebooting things, man, we are on a we are on a train of rebooting everything. It's like we can't even think of new original ideas anymore. We gotta we gotta find old ones and just reboot them and and power hard into nostalgia, which. Okay, as somebody who definitely appreciates, you know, the the nostalgia itch being scratched, I guess I can't complain too much. Um, right now, right now, eighties nostalgia is in full steam. Um, on top of my watching my watch list, I've finally dug into Stranger Things, catching up on the last season. So far, I love it; it's great. Um, hit, hitting the eighties nostalgia vibes really good. Um, it might might have even influenced me to pick up a new hobby. 
um, is collecting collecting my music. You know, everybody right now the trendy thing is vinyl. You know, vinyl's coming back. Oh, it's a, a trendy hipster thing. Let's let's correct. Let's collect vinyl and do that. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, vinyl is really heavy uh, when you when you get a big collection. I uh, after my my grandfather passed away, he uh, had a had a pretty significant collection of vinyl, um, mostly like the equivalent of a mixtape. Um, but like a mishmash of Christmas songs and and German drinking songs and all the, all these other fun things. But uh, yeah, uh, you get a tote full of those, and uh, it, it might as well be the equivalent of lifting a black hole because it is so heavy. Um, there there is no there is no like oh lift with your legs. No, it's lift your your legs with one to two other people that are going to help you carry this tote because it is so heavy. Um, so uh, also, you know, I as somebody, I, you know, I've already mentioned my age. Uh, vinyl wasn't my thing. Uh, by the time that I was born and growing up, uh, vinyl was still a pretty was pretty phased out by now. It's pretty archaic. I, I I started out on cassette tapes and then moved into the CD phase. I already talked about my first CD in the previous episode. Um, I had plenty of cassette tapes growing up, so you know what that that scratches the 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 nostalgia itch and i'll start collecting i'm gonna start collecting vhs tapes that's or not vhs tapes well i mean that'd be cool too but who's got a vhs player nowadays uh no uh cassette tapes you know i play my music on that i i went to uh, a local record store uh here not not too far from where i'm recording this episode uh very recently and was able to pick up a a tape of willie nelson's greatest hits um doesn't have my favorite Willie Nelson song on it, but it's got a it's got a few of his of his hits. So I feel like that was a good one to start the collection, and uh, we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes. Um, thankfully, right now tapes have not been uh, thrown into trendy nostalgia yet. Um, they are still fairly cheap to get. Um, I got my got my ne- Willie Nelson cassette for under a dollar. So uh, not going to complain on that front. And uh, you know what? Life is sometimes about having affordable cheap hobbies so not going to complain with that speaking of music though uh, those who have been longtime listeners of the show might have noticed that our intro music is different today uh those who have been listening for a while also know that that usually signals that we've got a musical guest on today's show uh jake rocher comes on a local musician uh getting his name out there just released a recent album uh we can bring him on the show to talk a little bit about that uh that song that we played at the beginning hard to kill a ghost um, as somebody, this is, this, this stuff is, um, while it does trigger a little bit of PTSD from listening to nonstop banjo at Silverwood growing up, uh, yeah, no, I can't, I, I've got friends that if they listen to this show, they'll hear this and probably need to go sit in a quiet room for a little bit because the nonstop repetitive repeat banjo from Silverwood is definitely still there. If you, if you ever worked there growing up, uh, but no, um, definitely a great interview with Jake. Uh, glad to get his story. Talk to talk through, uh, his, his progress as a musician and, uh, get the word out there for him. So, so without further ado, we're going to kick into that interview with Jake Rocher. And then after that, we'll jump into some Coeur d'Alene Post Falls Press headlines. Remember, if you're not interested in the interview, if you're not interested in the headlines, whatever it may be, just jump down into the show notes uh, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to, whatever music app you're on, and just find a little time index. You can jump right forward or jump back or rewind or restart or whatever you want to do, whatever you want to listen to. It is podcast is it, it's essentially radio you control. So the power is in your hands. All right, without further ado, here we go. Interview with Jake Rocher. Jake, welcome on the show. 
Hey man, uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely, uh, it's been a long time coming. We've been we've been both very busy individuals. Yeah, seriously, I've been uh, trying to finish this album up, and it's been a uh, kicking my ass. Or can I can I say? Oh yeah, you can say kicking ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, for sure. Yeah, it's been kicking my ass. Uh, <laughs> really busier now. How many how many songs you got on that new album coming out? Uh, nine. Nine. Okay. So I let's without jumping the gun too far. Let's 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 go back. Um, where are you from? I was born in uh, Texas, and I I moved a bunch as a kid, but Spokane for you know all all intents and purposes. I've lived here since I was a kid. So Spokane boy. Okay. All right. Uh, how'd you how'd you first get into music? I don't really know. It's kind of just been a part of my life. As long like I've been playing guitar as long as I can remember. Um, I was in a band and uh like elementary school middle school where it was like a metal band and we did a little bit of gigging and my dad used to uh drag me and my family out to um like old-time fiddle contests and festivals and stuff like that so it's always kind of really been around for me wow so a little bit of exposure on but you just said metal band in elementary school i just i just (laughs) i just picture like a school of rock situation going on no it was like a really bad Oh, okay. So we're we're talking we're talking like a metal kids bop version or something. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, man. I mean, you know, we uh, it, it's kind of funny, look, like looking back now, because uh, towards like you know middle school into like elementary, like we're old or whatever, you know, and uh, we'd be playing these shows at these super crusty bars and uh, like opening up for like actual punk like band, not like pop pop punk, but like legit punk bands. And, okay. Um, like death metal bands and shit, and or shoot, I don't know. Can I shit's just, shit's fine too. You're good. You're good. Okay, okay, cool. But yeah, like death metal bands and uh, punk bands and stuff, and we're in these like super gnarly, grimy bars, and uh, I think it made my mom really uncomfortable. But it Whoa. was kind of a cool, uh, cool introduction to all this stuff for me. I guess. Did you have at least a cool band name? No. I think, no. <laughs> I think the name we had in like <laughs> uh, the name we had uh, in. Uh, element like when we were really little, I think it was like Black Blood or something stupid. Okay, real, real, yeah. ang- real angsty stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're, we're pretty lame. We're pretty <laughs> lame. <laughs> a new name, but I don't really want to. Um, I don't really want to put it out there because uh, you can still kind of find some of our stuff online. Oh, that's Try to move, try to move past that. That's understandable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, so yeah, the second name wasn't much better. Right, right. Um. So talking genre, so you, you know, a little heavy metal or your metal talking about, but you're getting influence from like fiddle competitions. What what genre of music do you classify yourself as? You know, I generally just say folk when people ask me because I, I really don't know. I listen to a lot of like uh, traditional country and bluegrass and stuff like that. Um, but I, I feel like if I if I called myself bluegrass and real bluegrass pickers, would probably be like, this kid's full of shit, you know, like he doesn't sure. know what he's talking about, so... I usually just say folk, but I, I guess it line or rides that line of bluegrass a little, a little more, I guess. Okay. And that's and that's just kind of drawing off of inspiration from when you were younger. Yeah, it just kind of like comes natural, you know. Just what I there's not really much thought behind it. Just kind of how I play, you know what I mean? How gotcha. I write. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so and that kind of that kind of you already mentioned that you play guitar. Is there anything else? Uh, yeah. I mean, I play a bunch of stuff. Like a little bit, you know, guitar is my main thing, like sure. guitar and singing. Um, but I play a little bit of fiddle. Um, actually, this uh, record we just did, I played fiddle, uh, mandolin, banjo, 
and um, what else? I think, and then there's like a little bit of harmonica on one song that I did. Um, but I, I'm not very confident in really any of those. Oh, okay. So I was going to say, I got, a, I got a soft spot for a good harmonica player. That's that's definitely right up my alley. Yeah, that, that's not me. I'm sure you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have much of a soft spot for it if you heard me play it. But Fair enough. I, got, I, think, I think it did the job for what we needed, you know, on the album. Sure, sure. So talking a little bit, going back to, you know, building up to this point, like, we, you know, you got your second band. What else? What else after that? How did you get to the incarnation of what you are right now? You know, I think um, so. When I was a when I was a kid and I was in that band, I really only played growing up with like one of my best friends as a kid. And when he moved, it all kind of like I I was kind of stuck playing guitar in my room by myself, you know. And I uh, as a kid that wasn't super appealing. And then the bluegrass stuff too. Um, I lo- I loved it, but it was also kind of like old people music you know what i mean i was too cool for it you know right. so i was i was too young to really appreciate it i think sure um so i started skating i got super into that um and i you know like every single day it's like wake up and go skate like um i have a, I have a pretty uh it's a word addictive obsessive personality so i, I latch on to one thing or I tend to anyway. Sure. And then it just full force, you know? And so like that, that took up like 10, 15 years, just skating a bunch. And then, um, stuff that kind of comes with that, you know, um, man, you're hitting the, you're hitting the angsty trifecta here. Almost. You got, you got metal bands and skating. Digging it. Yeah. And then, and then bluegrass, right? Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Cause those three, those three things definitely go together. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And then I just kind of, I, you know, start getting a partying and stuff with all you know and uh drinking and kind of just drugging myself to death and uh i ended up putting a skate video out in my early 20s that was a uh, a project me and my friend worked really hard on for a long time and it's really cool to put it out but it's kind of like what do we you know what do we do now when it's done i never really had any plan for my life or anything and so um yeah, she got kind of dark for me for a couple of years after that. And I ended up in uh, rehab and uh, just happened to bring my guitar with me and started writing songs in there. And uh, and yeah, just kind of stuck with it. And I guess it just kind of came full circle, you know, back to my roots or whatever. Sure. So that that experience really influenced what what uh, what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's what a lot of my music is about, too. I, I ended up relapsing when I got out. Um, but I, I stuck with playing music, you know, and uh, yeah, I don't know. That, that's a, at least the songs on the album. That's a lot what it's about. I, I just uh, got sober a little over four months ago. So it's still this whole thing still kind of new to me, I guess. Gotcha. OK. I understand. Well, this, I mean, music's a good way to uh, music's a good outlet. Yeah, for sure, man. And it, well, and just writing in general, you know, it's, it's like journaling kind of, you know, it's like getting your thoughts out and making sense of them a little bit you know i think it's something i need to do you know what i mean right just to make sense of my life no totally makes sense so let's talk a little bit about uh the album itself so we we know the influences a little bit tell me tell me a little bit about what's what's on what's it called what's on it that kind of thing um so it's called hard to kill ghosts it's got uh, nine tracks on it and then uh like i said i played all those instruments on it eric johnson played a uh, lead guitar in a couple songs and then he played like an additional rhythm guitar in one um ben who you just had on the podcast um ben vogel was one of the best musicians i've ever met but uh he played uh bass drums did the backing vocals and then uh 
uh, produced the whole thing. A lot of stuff on there kind of about just that headspace I was in with, you know, going through, you know, addiction, just depression and all that. Sure. Super fun stuff, I guess. Um, and then there's uh, one song on there towards the end, actually, that uh, is, act. I mean, if there's ever a song I've written that I'm proud of, it'd be, I guess, that one. And it's not because it's like so objectively good or anything. It just kind of wrapped up. I wrote it when I got sober um, back in, I think, April. Um, I ended up, some stuff happened, and I ended up in the hospital and got sober the next day, and I wrote that song, and uh, I sent it to Ben, and we decided we were just going to throw it on the album last minute, and uh, and yeah, um, I think it does a good job of kind of wrapping the whole thing up and kind of closing that chapter for me. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I mean, kind of symbolic that you were saying it's the last song on the album? It's the second last. So the first and last song on there are both uh, story songs that have nothing to do with anything oh, in my okay. life. They're just like murder songs. Sure. So I figured I'd throw those kind of first and last and then sandwich everything else in between them. Gotcha. So okay. um, aside from that, it's the last song, yeah. Gotcha. So a, a good a good bookend. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, so... Perfect. Okay. Well, uh, Jake, where would, uh, if someone wanted to take, check this album out, where would they go? What do they do? It's on Spotify, Apple music, uh, iTunes, YouTube, YouTube music, uh, all that stuff. Um, I got some copies for sale. Um, and I'm working on setting up a band camp. I haven't figured that out yet, but once I have a little more time to sit down with it, I'm going to try to get that worked out. So, um, it's all over the place, I guess. Awesome. If people want to see you live, where would they, where would they, how would they go about doing that? Uh, you can go to my website, jakeroger.com, or uh, just Instagram, follow me on there, Facebook, and I, I I think I do a little better with Instagram, but I'm working on Facebook, too, to try to stay more um, on top of everything with that, um, but I post all that stuff on there. Sure. Everybody's got their preferred social media platform. I get it. Mm. Definitely. All right, Jake, uh, I think that's about it. Anything else you want to throw in there? Um, no, other than just thanks for having me on, and I really especially last minute like this. Um, yeah, really appreciate it, and it's good talking to you. Absolutely. Good chatting with you, too, and we'll uh, we'll see you out there. Big thanks again to Jake for coming on the show and uh, giving us some music for our for our intro today. All right, without further ado, let's jump into Coeur d'Alene Post Falls Press headlines. But first, home of the lowest prices in all things outdoors since 1975, Black Sheep Sporting Goods is your one-stop shop for all your camping, fishing, hunting, and clothing needs. Open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. and Sundays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Check out Black Sheep's new location in the Silver Lake Mall. Black Sheep Sporting Goods, celebrating 45 years as your favorite sporting goods store. All right, quarterly Post Falls Press headlines for Saturday, September 17th. Headline, Off to the Races! CDA Rotary announces commencement of 32nd Annual Rose Sale. This by Devin Weeks. A bugle played first call over the sound system to commence the race as Rosebud Thorne and her trusty stallion, Pony Boy, galloped into the room. Quote, We are in the big race for the run for the roses, said Thorne, played by Coeur d'Alene Rotary Club president Candace Goodwin, dressed to the nines in a red jockey silk. Quote, I will tell you that our odds are good, Godwin said. As you know, let me make sure I say this right. When the odds are good, the goods are odd, I'll say. Rotary members in the Friday meeting at the Coeur d'Alene Resort laughed and enjoyed the lighthearted bit as Godwin and Ponyboy, played by Rotary Club director Steve Roberg in a horse mask, made their big announcement. Today, we are kicking off the 32nd annual Rotary Rose Sale, Godwin said. We'll see you all in the winner's circle. 
The Rotary Row Sale is an annual friendly competition among Rotarians to sell as many bouquets of long stem red, orange, yellow, and pink roses as possible until the sale ends October 3rd. On October 21st, the roses will be distributed throughout the community to brighten the days of loved ones, working professionals, those receiving services from local nonprofits, and more. In 2021, the Coeur d'Alene Rotarians sold an all-time record of 1,463 dozen roses, accounting to 17,556 roses delivered to the community in one day. Proceeds from the sale support grants for local youth and civic organizations, scholarships for local students, and, pro- and provide for families and individuals in need. Since the inception in 1990, the Rose Sale has raised more than $1 million. The roses will be sold directly to community members who will have the option to have their roses donated to local charities. Roses are $30 per dozen, $22 of which is tax deductible. To order, contact any Coeur d'Alene Rotary member. Sounds like a good cause, and who doesn't like roses, you know? Moving on, police pay plan going to council. Total of 80000 would go toward attracting officers. This by Bill Billy. The Coeur d'Alene City Council on Tuesday will consider a financial incentive plan to help fill vacant posts in the Coeur d'Alene Police Department. Police Chief Lee White is scheduled to outline an $80,000 proposal for lateral officer hiring. In August, the department had 14 opens, openings, rather, the most since White came on board in 2014. Quote, not only have we had officers leave our agency for higher paying law enforcement jobs, we have had several applicants self-remove from our hiring process and many more not apply for our agency due to financial reasons, according to a city report. Those financial reasons include housing costs. In August, the median home price in Kootenai County was $550,500, up 18% from the same time a year ago. Kootenai County renters are paying more than half of their income towards rent, according to a CDA 2030 survey, and finding an affordable rental is proving difficult. Entry-level police officers can start at $25.58, according to the city's website, while a lateral police officer starting pay could be $28.20. The police department is seeking council approval to offer an incentive program that will be, an, that will be open to eight lateral officers who meet certain requirements. Here is how it would work. A $5,000 payment, payment would be made in the first regularly scheduled paycheck after being hired. $5,000 would be paid in the first regular paycheck after being employed for one year. The money would have to be repaid if the person quits within three years of the date of hire. The police department budgeted $80,000 for the program in its 2022-2023 budget, which is about $22 million. The report notes that the cost to get a new recruit through the academy and field training is estimated to cost more than $20,000. The city council meeting begins at 6 p.m. in the library community room. So if you're interested in that, head on over to the community room. Moving on, Sunday, September 18th headlines. Time to unite. CDA mobile home residents hope to buy their park. This is by Kay Thornbrew. Those who live in manufactured or mobile home communities, one of the few affordable housing options available in Kootenai County, are especially vulnerable to displacement. But residents of one such neighborhood are fighting to take ownership of their homes and inspire others to do the same. Last August, a Utah-based investment company called Haven Park Communities purchased Oakcrest, a manufactured home company, a community in the Coeur d'Alene with nearly 500 residents. Since then, residents say rent has increased significantly, and many are struggling to keep up. Quote, A lot of people were afraid, said Michael Cullen, an Oakcrest resident since 2019. In letters submitted to the press, residents said rent for existing tenants will jump in November from $365 per month to $447 per month. That's a 23% increase. 
In the past, residents said they were, ju- were accustomed to rent increasing by around $30 a month every few years. Meanwhile, the lot rent for new residents has increased 33% from $595 per month last August to $795 per month. Cullen owns his manufactured home and can afford the lot rent for now, but he's concerned for his neighbors, many of whom live on modest incomes and originally moved into Oakcrest with the intention of it being their forever home. For them, the future is uncertain. That's why Cullen is among a group of Oakcrest residents who plan to form a homeowners association with the goal of eventually purchasing the neighborhood. Some residents want to make Oakcrest a resident-owned community, or, or, or ROC. In this model, homeowners form a, co- form a cooperative. Each household is a member of the cooperative, which owns the land and manages the community. Members continue to own their homes individually, as well as an equal share of the land. To some manufactured home residents, real ownership seems like a pipe dream, but communities across the country have made it a reality. Quote, resident ownership is an option, said Victoria O'Bannon. This is real. O'Bannon is a marketing and acquisition specialist for ROC Northwest, a wing of ROC USA. The New Hampshire-based nonprofit helps residents purchase their manufactured home communities. ROC Northwest has helped facilitate the purchase of more than 20 resident-owned communities in Washington and two in southern Idaho so far. More than 1,000 people live in those communities. After an ROC is established, monthly rent is the mortgage payment and operating cost divided by the number of lots. Rent typically increases, but it's stable and residents own the land on which they live. For that reason, O'Bannon said manufactured homes and ROCs tend to increase in value in a way that homes in traditional parks do not. Residents don't want to leave while others are eager to move in. There are more than 4,000 manufactured homes and parks throughout Kootenai County. Most are in Cornland and in Post Falls. Forming an ROC can be tough after a purchase has happened, but Cullen said Oakcrest residents are determined to try. The first step is to form a homeowners association, which 51% of residents must agree to join for a fee as low as $1. Even if they're unable to purchase their home, Cullen said he and his neighbors hope to show residents of other manufactured home communities in North Idaho that it is possible. All right, well, you know what? We've got to do what we got to do nowadays with uh, rent and property prices and pretty much everything in between. Uh, gets getting harder to live out there, folks. Everything's a little more expensive. Moving on, above and beyond, Selkirk Construction hosts fundraiser for nonprofit that helps survivors of law officers who died during duty. This is by Bill Bewley. Life without Jay Hughes, said Diane Hughes, has been hell. It's been a long road, she said Saturday. It's been a hard road. Diane Hughes had been married to Jay Hughes for about five years when he collapsed while trying to make an arrest on January 4, 2021 at the Northern Quest Resort and Casino. He died two days later. He was 64. Jay Hughes, who worked with the Spokane County Sheriff's Office for 39 years, he retired, then took a job with the Kalispell Tribe Police. Diane Hughes misses him so much she couldn't put it into words and tried not to cry. What has helped her to endure, Hughes said, is beyond the call of duty. Quote, a lot of us wouldn't be able to go on without you, she said during a fundraiser for the organization at Selkirk Construction. The goal of Beyond the Call of Duty is to, quote, ensure that no officer is forgotten, that their families know their loved one has not been forgotten, and that there is recognition, support, and understanding to help them heal. About 100 attended the event on a cool evening that included music, food, and a drawing for a 1963 Nova SS convertible and tributes to fallen law officers. A Beyond the Call of Duty trailer with pictures of more than 600 officers who died in 2021 was parked near US-95. Jargut J.C. Shaw, chairman of Beyond the Call of Duty in the Spokane Valley, said while officers who died wore different colored uniforms, they all bled red. Quote, we sleep in our beds and our homes because the men and women like this, he said. 
Amy Moden spoke of her husband of 12 years, William Moden, a, Col a Colorado State Patrol trooper who was struck and killed by a vehicle in 2019 while responding to a crash. Her life was completely changed and she faced tremendous challenges without the man. She said she would also it was also her best friend. The On the Call of Duty helped her deal with the pain and stands with her today. Coeur d'Alene Mayor Jim Hammond said police face danger in many situations, even when approaching a car after a routine traffic stop. He spoke with Coeur d'Alene Police Officer Greg Moore, who was on patrol when he stopped to check on a man walking in the early morning hours of May 5th, 2015, and was shot and killed. Sounds like a great cause. Uh, definitely need our, you know, we're talking about getting a pay increase for some of the law enforcement officers that we have. Uh, sounds like a great thing to support the, the loved ones uh, of those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice in one way or another. Initial success or total failure? Mad Bomber Brewing Company, located at 9265 North Government Way in Hayden, Idaho, is a veteran-owned and operated business that has been serving North Idaho since 2013. Swing by the brewery to see the new taproom renovations and try the freshly tapped Oktoberfest. This ale features Munich malt and English yeast, giving it a slightly sweet, earthy finish. It's really good, gang. Speaking of Oktoberfest, check out the Bomber's Oktoberfest party on October 15th. Football fans out there should also shouldn't miss out on Sunday potlucks. Come on down and watch the game, enjoy some food, and roll some dice for each touchdown scored for a chance to win a free beer. Mad Bomber Brewing also offers a wide selection of ciders for those who may not want beer. Located near Triple Play, come by and mention the podcast when you order to receive $1 off your first beer. Mad Bomber Brewing, recklessly brewed in Hayden, Idaho. Takes into Monday, September 19th headlines. Headline, a vehicle is a deadly weapon. Hayden man allegedly rammed vehicle into car at drive-thru. This morning, Dolan. A Hayden man was booked into Kootenai County Jail Saturday after allegedly intentionally ramming his vehicle into a car at a drive-thru, striking several other vehicles and resisting arrest, all while apparently intoxicated. Seth L. Servin, 41, is facing charges of aggravated assault, DUI refusal, and resisting arrest, according to a news release issued Sunday by the Kootenai County Sheriff's Office. The incident occurred around 12.30 p.m. in the parking lot of the Lancaster Market at Lancaster Avenue and U.S. 95 in Hayden. Deputies arrived at the scene and observed the suspect vehicle in a ditch along Lancaster Avenue with the engine still revving. Servin reportedly refused to get out of the vehicle or follow any commands as he continued to rev the engine. To keep Servin from causing any more crashes, he was removed from the vehicle, and according to the Sheriff's Office report, he continued to resist and fight law enforcement personnel. He was eventually taken into custody. The city of Hayden did not have any deputies working at the time of the incident, and Under Sheriff Brent Nelson, who was attending a community event, heard the call and was one of the first on scene, said Sheriff Bob Norris on Sunday. Quote, I'm thankful that Under Sheriff Nelson's quick response helped in bringing the assault to an end, Norris told the press. A vehicle is a deadly weapon, and we are fortunate nobody was killed or critically injured in this incident. The investigation revealed, per the sheriff's, per the sheriff's office, that Servant had pulled into the Lancaster Market parking lot and struck several cars. Quote, in reviewing video surveillance, it showed that Seth Servant struck one vehicle with a family of four inside intentionally several times when the, uh, while they were in the drive-thru, she uh, said the release. Those who were injured in the incident were treated and released at the scene. Cern was transported to Kootenai Health for medical evaluation. After he was cleared by Kootenai Health, he was transported and booked into the Kootenai County Jail. Servin has two prior DUI arrests in Kootenai County dating back to 2004. All right, lesson here. Pretty simple one. Don't A, don't drink and drive. B, don't crash your car into uh, another vehicle that has a family of four in it in a drive-thru. Uh, I think these are pretty simple concepts to wrap your head around, people. I, maybe not for some people, though. Moving on, Tuesday, September 20th headline, Ode to Unity and Peace, Monument, a $75,000 public art project to be dedicated Friday. This by Bill Bealy. 
A $75,000 public art project described as a, quote, commitment to eliminate racism and prejudice will be dedicated Friday. Quote, the monument to peace and unity made of steel will stand 24 feet tall and be at, and be at what is considered the gateway to downtown, the Four Corners inter- intersection of Northwest Boulevard, Government Way, and Fort Grounds Drive. It was commissioned by the Coeur d'Alene Arts Commission and created by artist I.Q. Holpen of Humanity Memorial, Inc. Quote, the art was created to be a welcoming to, to be welcoming to our city to all people a press release said the city council approved the contract with humanity memorial based in sutton west virginia in march of 2021 by a 5 to 1 vote with councilman dan gukin dissenting gukin said while he had no objections to the art itself or the artist he said it could be placed in any city and was not specific to Coeur d'Alene and its history Quote, he stated it was a missed opportunity to highlight the history of the area and would like to have more options to choose from when our projects are brought to the council and would like to support local artists. According to minutes of the March 16, 2021 city council meeting, council members Christy Wood and Dan English liked it. Wood said the art piece was gorgeous and that the message what was, uh, was what was prominent. Quote, English said the artwork is terrific, interactive piece that will represent CDA well. It was a lengthy process to reach this point. The city's public art ordinance adopted in June of 1999 established funding of public arts that, quote, provide public visibility and impact. The Arts Commission issued a national request for artistic qualifications on August 11, 2020, for public art at the Four Corners. The city received 20 submissions and narrowed it to five finalists who received $1,000 each to provide detail and a model of the proposed art piece. Through an online survey, three finalists were interviewed. Hopin and the, quote, three, the Monument to Peace and Unity were a unanimous pick. The recommendation went to the Arts Commission at its February 24th, 2021 meeting. It was initially hoped that the artwork would be scheduled for completion and installation in September 2021, but it was delayed a year. The dedication is set for 10.30 a.m. Friday. All right. Uh, I'm I'm just not an arts guy. I, I feel like this story kind of goes off of my um, off my radar a little bit. Um Described as a commitment to eliminate racism and prejudice. I don't I don't see how a $75,000 piece of public art will do that. Um, but, you know, maybe maybe I'm just missing something. Um, I don't know. I, I guarantee you that the majority of people that drive by this will not understand what it is or what it's supposed to be doing. Um, but it is a nice it is a nice I, I'm the talent that went into creating this piece. I'm looking at it right now in the Cornwall Press uh, must have taken a while. Kind of reminds me of like the World Cup trophies that are awarded in uh, soccer or football. If you want to, you want to be that. If you like that, kind of reminds me of that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's nice. Kind of looks like something that would go outside like a library or a high school. I mean, it's fitting. It'll fit the area, but uh, you don't know if <laughs> you don't know if the metal piece of work is going to end racism anytime soon. Are you looking to get the word out about your business? The Hagadon Media Group is your full-service digital marketing agency that can be make inroads into any market with multiple channels. Website optimization, paid search campaigns, web advertising placements, and traditional advertising methods are all brought to bear as they are needed. Hagadon Media Group's passion for their craft is matched by their passion for detail. Some of their best projects have blended state-of-the-art digital marketing techniques and tactics with visual displays and brilliant website design. For more information on how Hagadon Media can provide effective digital marketing solutions that bring your brand to the forefront via web design, web development, PPC, retargeting, SEO, and print, visit HagadonMediaGroup.com. All right, that takes us north to Bonner County Daily Bee headlines at a Sandpoint for Saturday, September 17th. Headline, police nab arson suspect reportedly set firefighters yurt 
Beef, uh, BF building a blaze. This is by Emily Bosung. Michael F. Mock, 30, is being charged with counts of arson in connection to a fire Monday night at Boundary County Fairgrounds in connection to a structure fire last week. Mock was arrested Monday after allegedly setting fire to one of the incident command tent yurts at the Boundary County Fairgrounds while two people were sleeping inside. It has not been reported if anyone was harmed in the fire. In an affidavit by Deputy Jason Trujillo with the Boundary County Sheriff's Department, law enforcement arrived on the scene at approximately 3.44 a.m. on Monday. He wrote that on arrival, several United States Forest Service firefighting personnel were in a 10 to 20 foot vicinity of the yurt, which was used to, used to house fire personnel supporting efforts to squash the ongoing Kootenai River complex fires. The southwest corner of the yurt was still smoldering after being put out with two portable fire extinguishers by U.S. Service Forest personnel, court documents said. Two individuals were wrapped in blankets and still in their sleepwear. Trujillo wrote both both had been sleeping in the north end of the yurt and were awakened by the smell of smoke. Bonner's Ferry Department Bonner's Ferry Fire Department personnel arrived and verified the fire was extinguished. After investigation of por, uh, a uh, probable cause, rather, Fire Chief Dave Whiney brought to law enforcement's attention a pile of sticks and a handwritten note found adjacent to the front end of the yurt. The note was somewhat incomprehensible and implied threats to kill a priest. Trujillo wrote while de deciphering the note, he noticed Mock standing southwest of the scene holding a notebook. Oh, that's really not smart. Court documents said Mock condoned showing the contents of the book in a personal search. The notes, uh, the notes in the book match found a note and a lighter was discovered on Mock's person. Law enforcement records indicate Mock told law enforcement he had been heading towards the casino to buy a pack of cigarettes when he heard his children's voices coming from the yurt that had later caught fire. He said he knocked on the yurt door but didn't light the fire. He said he smelled the smoke and noticed a light as he walked away. He allegedly admitted to leaving the handwritten note by the door of the yurt for those who were inside of his ch uh, with his children, court documents said. Okay, um... Okay. Whiney informed law enforcement it was determined that most likely the cause of the fire was the ignition of small sticks that had been shoved under the wall of the yurt. Quote, Mock willfully damaged the yurt when he could not gain access to search for his children's voices, Mock said in his affidavit. Mock also had been connected to a September 10th structure fire on Birch Street in Bonners Ferry and is facing a second count of arson. Bonner Ferry Police Officer Brandon Johnson questioned Mark regarding, uh, Mock regarding the September 10th incident. In his affidavit, Johnson wrote that earlier in the week he had seen Mock around town knocking on strangers' doors because Mock thought he could hear people in the basements calling for help. Johnson wrote that he remind, reminded Mock of this during questioning. At the Birch Street structure, Mock allegedly told Johnson that he had heard voices coming uh, from the area saying, You don't have the audacity to do that. Okay, this man is clearly not well. Mock allegedly said he lit the fire and walked away from the structure, but he believes someone came and put the flames out because the structure should have been engulfed faster than it was. Oh, boy. Uh, court documents said Mock stated he was at the location for almost an hour before it was totally engulfed. Mock faces two felony charges for arson in the first and second degree. Arson in the first degree pertains to a dwelling instruction normally occupied by a maximum of 25, a sentence of 25 years per Idaho state code. Okay, um... It doesn't say that any drugs are involved in this individual, but, um, you know, if it's not severe mental illness uh, or drugs or a combination of both, I would be very surprised. Um, this doesn't – this kind of sounds like the rantings of a madman. Moving on, council approves division funding, corridor used by many students. The city council unanimously approved a $250,000 grant agreement to see road and pathway improvements specifically for child pedestrians on Division Street. Quote, we have sidewalks that are noncompliant. 
By going through the driveway aprons, they don't meet American Disabilities Act requirements. And quite frankly, as we have discussed on many occasions, the lack of a buffer at this location makes it very difficult to maintain during the snow season. City Infrastructure Development Services Manager Amanda Wilson said, The quarter-million-dollar grant is the maximum allowed and comes from the local Highway Technical Assistance Council and the Child Pedestrian Safety Program. The pedestrian program ranks, ranks proposed projects based on priority and other criteria in the state to issue funds. The Division Avenue Corridor Improvement Project will see upgrades along the eastern side of the Division Avenue, stretching from south of Superior Street to Highway 2. Students most use that section of road due to the fact that it extends past the library and both the high school and middle school. After the completion of a 2021 road safety audit, improvements to Division Avenue were revealed to be a priority and thus were adopted into the Multi-Model Transportation Master Plan later that spring. The main issue this product will tackle, Phase 1 of the Division Avenue Corridor Improvement Project, as detailed in a presentation given by Wilson, showed that most of the improvements would come to the walkways which would, which the audit deemed hazardous. With nearly 2,000 students, an average of 6,000 trips per day, and the use of a primary truck route, Wilson explained that whilst this is just the first phase of the project, there is more to come to the tune of $10,000, no, $10 million in improvements. That's a lot of money. Other improvements in this phase include providing a, wild, a wider multi-use path to, that meets ADA standards, a wider planting strip, and bringing the roads to a more manageable width, Wilson said. Since the grant agreement has been approved, Wilson said the goal is to complete this phase of the project by December of 2023. Well, it sounds like a good cause. A little expensive. Boy, $10 million. Oof. That's a hefty price tag. Moving on. Sunday, September 18th. Happy homecoming. Bulldogs bite down early. Hold on for victory over Homedale. Uh, this one was written by myself. As the victory bell on War Memorial Field rang following Sandpoint's win over the Homedale Trojans Friday night, Coach Ryan Knowles breathed a sigh of relief and admitted that the end of the Bulldogs' homecoming game was a little too close for comfort. Quote, very scary, he said at the last minute push by the visiting team, but we have to give ourselves credit because we found a way to get it done. Giving a packed homecoming crowd one heck of the show, a strong early game performance by the Bulldogs proved to be enough for a 28-21 win. Quote, I'm really happy with the way we came out and jumped on them early, Knowles said. That's a good team that had to travel, and that's how that works out, that early 14-0 run. Led by the solid play that's come to be expected of Sandpoint's quarterback Parker Pettit, who ended the night with 320 passing yards and a touchdown, the Bulldogs stormed out of the gate to take a 14-7 lead into halftime. They would add another touchdown and extra point conversion to their lead in the third quarter, which would end up being a saving grace later on. A wild fourth quarter saw Homedale rack up 14 points and make a convincing push to tie in the final minutes of the game, but the lead the Bulldogs had worked up and added to again that quarter was simply too much. Knowles noted the strong play of senior Hunter Garcia and all the players involved with the kick coverage and returns. Quote, I thought our special teams played lights out today, he said. Kickoff coverage was great. We punted the ball well down, down into the five. We got two onside kick recoveries, which, you know, are really hard work. Knowles also stressed that it's a long season and it's all about learning lessons so that the team is ready for their first conference game, which is slated for October 7th against the Lakeland Hawks and Rathdrum. Sandpoint's uh, next game is on the road versus Lewiston on September 23rd at 7 p.m. Go Bulldogs! Congratulations, I got to watch that game. It was a very rowdy homecoming crowd. Good to see everybody and the Bulldogs played well. Moving on, Dubs shutting down, at least for winter, potentially longer. This is by Daniel Radford. 
As one enters Sandpoint from the south, if they are not graced with the striking panoramic views on the Long Bridge, there's a decent chance they'll step into Dub's 80-year-old building at 703 US 2 for a bite and some nostalgia. More than a few generations have spent their fair share of time at the iconic building. While we may never know how many ice cream cones or first dates were had at Dub's, the time for additional firsts is coming to a close, at least for the winter, according to a statement from the owners. According to several employees who have asked to remain anonymous, Dubs is shuttering at least for the off-season, potentially longer on September 24th. One worker said the new owner of the establishment, Austin Terrell, has found a more lucrative venture. Dubs opened more than 70 years ago in 1951, the year construction on Albany Dam began. Lewis took over the space from Dairy Delight, who had already been operating at the location for some years, according to the restaurant's website. Meyer took over in 1988, and after 32 years, he was ready to step away from the business, leaving it to his daughter and son-in-law in 2020. But after two years, the new owners may be ready to call it quits or at least take a break. In a statement on social media Thursday afternoon, owners Austin and Kerry Terrell addressed some of the rumors about Dubs shuttering. A rumor of permanent closure and possible demolition appears to be a flub. Quote, there are in fact some changes coming for Dubs, the Terrells wrote. The family has new opportunity that they are going to pursue, but it will require, quote, putting Dubs on hold for a bit. Former owner and father of Carrie Terrell, Marty Meyer, has already planned travel this winter and could not be asked to step in and run the restaurant temporarily. The Terrells plan to work on Dubs while it is closed this winter and will hopefully have a plan for the future of the business by spring, a statement said. Staff at the restaurant expressed concern regarding unverified rumors about the sale of the establishment to facilitate the construction of a roundabout and said that they were worried about losing their jobs. The building itself is about 80 years old, according to several employees. Quote, if it were 100 years old, we could apply to protect it as a historical building, one worker said. Yeah, um, I don't. I've never gone to Dubs myself, but if it's a fixture uh, up there, like many many other small burger joints and ice cream joints that uh, are are scattered across North Idaho, uh, definitely important to the folks up there, and uh, might be definitely worth saving if it is if it is threatened. Moving on, Tuesday, September twentieth. Uh, weather helps crews fi- uh, helps crews control fires. This is by Carolyn Lobsinger. Uh, another fire update that we've got. I'm not going to go through the whole story with all the hard details, including all the threatened roads and evacuations, and that can- not that there are any. Um, but if you're interested in all those hard details, I would check out the story. So I'll-, I'll leave you with this. With the weather grounding mapping flights, it's hard to say how much or if the Kootenai River complex has grown, Forest Service officials said. However, the low-intensity fire is, quote, mostly smoldering and creeping with minimal growth, officials said in a Monday press release. The inversion layer that kept flights grounded also contributed to the prominence of smoke seen in the region. The fire has burned 20,908 acres in northern Boundary County. The fire, which is located about seven miles northwest of Bonners Ferry, is being fought by a crew of 263 personnel attached to a Type 2 Eastern Area Incident Management Team Gold. Yes, uh, the, the complex is made up of two fires now, the Boulder Mountain. Mountain Fire and the Katka, Katka Fire. Um, those have, it used to be multiple fires within that complex, but they've kind of, a lot of them have burned together. So um, good thing that the progress is on that. Um, if you're interested in the full up fire update, I would check out this story at the bonnercountydailyb.com or in Tuesday's paper. 
The America's gold and silver-owned Galena Mine in Wallace, Idaho, is currently accepting applications for the position of maintenance supervisor. The maintenance supervisor is responsible for overseeing all aspects of maintenance needs. The ideal candidate for the position would have an associate's degree in a maintenance-related field, five-plus years of experience, and two-plus years in a supervisory role. This role is an excellent opportunity to work on a variety of projects, take charge of your career, and make a difference on a small team in a dynamic work environment. America's Gold and Silver offers competitive wages, a full employee benefit package, which includes medical, dental, vision, life, and disability insurance, PTO, 401k, and a pension plan. To apply for this and any other open positions at the Galena Mine, visit www.americasgold.com forward slash careers. Takes into Shoshone News Press headlines for Tuesday, September 20th. Headline, Osborne Woman Sentenced for Wired Fraud Scheme. It's kind of the uh, culmination of a story that I've, I've been covering for quite a while. Trina Welch, 49, of Osborne, was sentenced to 51 months in federal prison for committing wire fraud, U.S. Attorney Josh Hurrett said, uh, announced Monday. According to court records, Welch was employed by Casco of Idaho LLC with an office in Rathdrum as a bookkeeper from 2012 until 2019. Casco is a construction and telecommunication company that also does work in Washington, Idaho, Oregon, Montana, and Alaska. Beginning at beginning in at least 2013 and continuing until the day she was terminated on July 3, 2019, Welch used her position as a bookkeeper to engage in a scheme and plan to defraud Casco and obtain money and property for herself. Welch conducted the scheme by issuing 341 fraudulent checks to purchase property vehicles and travel for herself, her family, and her friends. In January of 2022, Welch pleaded guilty to the charge of wire fraud, admitting that in 2017 alone she took $930,000 just to pay for her Bank of America credit cards. As part of the plea agreement, Welch admitted writing 341 fraudulent checks and agreed to pay restitution and forfeit her interest in any of the properties she bought with the money. However, she contested that the entire amount of the checks represented a loss to Casco. After a two-day hearing, Chief U.S. District Judge David C. Nye found that Welch's scheme caused a $3,673,934 loss to Casco. Nye also ordered Welch to forfeit her interest in six different properties she bought from with Casco funds and to pay restitution in the amount of $3,678,237.73. Very specific number. Welch was remanded into custody of the U.S. Marshal Service after the hearing to begin her prison sentence. After prison, Welch will serve three years of supervised release during which she will be required to report to a U.S. probation officer. U.S. Attorney Hurwitt of the District of Idaho made the announcement and commended the cooperative efforts of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Rathdrum Police Department, which led to the charges. Yep, that puts kind of a bow on that saga that I've been following kind of since the beginning of all that started. Miss Welch uh, heading to prison. Moving on, volunteers remove tons of debris from River. This is my Molly Roberts. Fifty volunteers joined the quest to clean the metal debris in the mile-long Wallace stretch of the South Fork of the Coeur d'Alene River, clearing out almost five tons. Quote, some of the debris must have been in the water from the early 1900s, explained Wallace Councilman Elmer Matilla, who had been planning this project for years. The thought in the past was throwing in its water with getting rid of it, out of sight, out of mind. Pollution and heavy metal contamination throughout the Sutter Valley are higher than average as mining companies would have previously discharged mining waste directly into streams, only stopping in the 1960s. Some volunteers were Wallace locals, but others came from Coeur d'Alene, Spokane, Washington, and Missoula, Montana to clear the water and make the water feature safer and more pleasant for the historic town. The cleanup was divided into four zones, east to west, with deeper water handled by local business businesses and Eddie Bros, Inc., bringing in a crane to help clear up the bigger chunks of debris. The debris, the debris that was uh, pulled to fill up three 
three large trailers and will be taken to Zanetti Bros and eventually recycled by the Osborne Business McGillivray Environmental. A super cool thing. Uh, as somebody who has spent some time over in the valley and, and seen that river close up, uh, definitely could see that there was a lot of uh, old, old uh, debris in that place. So definitely a good thing that it's finally getting cleaned up. Once again, we'd like to thank Hecla Mining Company for sponsoring this episode. To learn more about Hecla Mining Company, visit HeclaMining.com. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening today. Really appreciate it. Please like, comment, and share all of our stuff on social media. Uh, Give the North Idaho Now Facebook page a like or a follow. If you're interested in the stories I talked about today or the ones I did not, check us out at www.queerlingpress.com, shoshonnewspress.com, bonnercannadailyb.com, or thebonnersferryherald.com. If you listen to us on a podcatcher or a music app such as Amazon Music or Spotify, or Pandora, or Apple Podcasts. Uh, Give us a little subscribe, or a like, or a follow on there, whichever is applicable, and leave a nice review. We really appreciate that. That keeps the show going, makes us happy, makes my boss happy, and uh, keeps keeps me having a job. So, (laughs) really appreciate that, everybody. All right. Thanks for having fun with me today. Thanks for catching up on the news, and we'll see you on Friday.